Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Sandra. Uh, I want to say thank you to Olivia, and I want to say thank you to Sam, and I want to thank you to Erica, because they kind of run things back there in that room. Olivia, she's uh, what, 14, and uh, she's pretty mature for her age. Sometimes I think maybe a little bit more on the ball than me. I mean, she comes up and she literally is like, hey, you didn't do the right thing. Hey, put this on, would you? And uh, I just want to say thank you uh, for them. And I just, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for them. And I'm grateful for what I know God has done. Because ultimately what God builds and what God grows cannot be denied. It's not something that man can do. It's something that only God can do. So um, we're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter, uh, let me see. This is a rough passage, 58. It's a rough passage. Um, went to a, a retreat, a pastoral retreat uh, Saturday, and it was just a prayer retreat. So prayer, and, uh, you know, it was my shepherds shepherding me, and they shepherded my heart. They really did shepherd my heart because uh, life's uh, tough. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You could really be serious about following the Lord, and something about life, man, it really can get on you. And uh, you don't even know what's happening, and it's just on you. But I went to this thing, and one of the things, I, I don't want to take too long because I could preach for hours, and I know you want me to preach for hours. <laughs> um, I, I want to uh, say that Pastor Mark had suggested something, and, it, man, it stuck right in my mind, and I'm going to do it. Uh, he said at some point in this next month, I want you to get on your knees before the congregation, and I want you to pray. But I'm not just going to get on my knees. I'm not. Uh, I want us to get on our knees. If you can't do it, that's cool. If you don't want to do it, that's cool. Just sit. But if you can, slip down and get on your knees. But don't do it because I'm asking you because guess what? That's the wrong way to do it. It don't matter what I want to do. And why does he want it? Why? Because I, I know he wants it. It's not to prove how submitted we are. You know why we want to get on our knees? To demonstrate how much we need him. I realize that Jesus didn't just come because that was the most convenient method to save him. That was the only way to be saved. I don't know about you, but I'm a mess on my own. Really, really bad. And it's not just like, well, I fell into it or my heart rolled off the table and it got broke on accident. No, no, no. I participated and participate in my brokenness apart from Christ. So I need God's nearness. I need God's grace. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get on our knees. If you could do it, do it right now. If you cannot, don't. Sit there. Just pray with us. And we are going to pray. And we're going to be poor in spirit. Father God, as we get ready to open up your word, we are literally like beggars. We come before you with no claims. We come before you with no demands. We don't want to make promises to you that we cannot keep. We come before you with need, like poor people. I can't repay you. I can't give you anything for what I'm asking from you. You have no uh, uh, impetus to give me what I ask for. But you said with your mouth, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they receive the kingdom of heaven. You're the kingdom of heaven. We want you with us, in us, working on us. We need you to change us in our minds and our hearts. And this is our prayer in sincerity. Amen. That was beautiful. And I'm going to tell you something. I remember when I was first coming out of my alcohol and drug addiction, I had an old Irish guy. Um, well, I don't know why there were so many old Irish guys in there, but <laughs> something about us Irishmen, we really like to drink. Um, yes, I had my, my fasting coffee. Um, he used to say, every day, get on your knees, Tom. And I used to go, why? Why do I got to get on my knees? And he goes, he couldn't give me an answer. He's like, just don't fight me. Don't be dumb. Just do it. And it took me a long time to figure out what he was talking about. But there is 
there's a way of coming to the Lord that works and a way that doesn't. And the way that doesn't work is when I come to the Lord and I make him promises, even if they're well-intentioned promises, that I simply cannot keep. The way that does work is when I see him and the light of who he is shines so brightly, it lets me know what's up. And then I realize in an instant, oh no, this is more serious than I thought it was originally. I just thought it was some reformation. Let me get my act together. And then I see him and I'm like, oh my gosh. There's a reason that when people saw God, they would fall on their face and say, I'm doomed. Because they saw the holiness and they saw the demand of life. And they were like, I'm in big trouble. But as soon as they recognized it, as soon as they were willing to submit, as soon as they were willing to say, I'm at your mercy. They got mercy. That's what you and I want. You want transformation? Pray for mercy. Because that's how it happens. All right, so let's look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. And we're going to read verse 1 through 9. Now, this is strong language. Uh, Shout it out loud. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. God is speaking to the prophet. Declare to my people their rebellion, to the descendants of Jacob, their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for me, God, to come near them. But then they say, why have we fasted? He's not seen it. Why do we humble ourselves? God has not noticed. Yet, on the day of your fasting, do you do as you please? Do you exploit your workers? Your fasting oftentimes ends with quarreling and strife, and with wicked fists you strike each other? You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high, for this is the kind of fast that I have chosen for my people, not as just a day to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you think is a fast? Is this what I want as acceptable? Well, this is my kind of fasting. This is what I have chosen. For you to desire to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords and the yoke around people's shoulders, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. And when you see the naked, you clothe them, not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will guard your rear. Then you will call upon the Lord, and he will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Let me cry, I'm here. This is God's word. Um, I I wanted to, uh, I remember when I I had other scriptures that I was given, and I was like, "Ah, I don't want to do that one, I don't want to do that one. I've got some leeway and some uh, license where I can go, and um, for some reason, he kept bringing me to this passage, and I'm like, oh man, I don't want to do that passage. You know, this book and Jeremiah, ooh, rough books. I don't like them. There's parts of uh, I, Isaiah and uh, Jeremiah I do like, but the majority of the books, I'm like, oh, I don't like them. Um, and I was like, man, you know, God, I don't, uh, I don't like it for one reason. Uh, the language that God uses for his people in this book, in this letter through this prophet, is very strong. And what it usually does is it causes people to run away and to not surrender and to never confess. That's what it did then. You know, that was the commission of Isaiah. He's like, go, I'm going to give you the word. Don't waver. Say exactly what I say. And he goes, okay, Lord, God, I'll do it. And then they're going to confess, right? They're going to submit. And he's like, no, no, no. They're going to resist. They're going to run away. Eventually, they're going to cut you in half. And that's what they did. Sodom came to kill them. Shut them up. They're going to harden their hearts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be a part of that. 
this is a specific indictment. What I want you to understand that this is a specific indictment. So the accusations don't always apply to you and me. They don't. When I read this, my initial response as I'm trying to work through this in honesty is I'm like, God, this don't apply to us. We're not doing many of the things that you're saying your people are doing. And the truth is, he agreed with me. I believe we are not doing many of the things that Israel was doing time in that era. First of all, he wasn't even talking to our, our uh, demographic. He was talking to the higher-ups in society. He was talking to um, uh, the noblemen. He was talking to the people of influence, the people who were the most successful in society. He was talking to the influencers. He was talking to the economic powerhouses. He was talking to the political insiders who were rigging the system. They were rigging the system, and they were doing it for their own good. Uh, and they were kind of doing it at the expense of other people. And I'm like, this isn't us. I mean, we're all kind of similar here, right? We, we're not poor. But we ain't exactly loaded either, right? Kind of just enough is enough. We're living content. And, and I'm like, isn't that what kind of you want? He's like, yes. But what this does is it reveals a very serious thing about me, very important thing about me, and a very important thing about humanity, my people. There is a systemic behavior with God and his people that is throughout the entirety of the Bible, even in the New Testament, that we have to be aware of. Because if we're not, it's like a hole that's in the room and you can't see. I remember when I first came, two words came to my mind. One was blind spot and the other was stronghold. And I was thinking to myself, well, I got some strongholds in my life. And those are not good. They're hard to break free from, right? But I realized in my spirit uh, that there's something worse than a, a, a stronghold, and that's a blind spot. You know what a blind spot means? A stronghold that you don't want to admit exists. You know why it's worse? Because you will fall into it every time. And everybody, even God himself, will show it to you, and you're like, <laughs> I don't know what you are talking about. I don't see that thing. Well, bam, you're right in there. And I realize that unless we see the truth in the light of grace over and over and over through Scripture, not just what I think or you think or what we're comfortable with, but what, what's shown to us, we are going to fall into blind spots in our life. We, I don't know if you're paying attention, but we're on the precipice of something, I think, extraordinary right here. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about here. Something's about ready to burst. I can feel it. <laughs> I mean, I just think to myself, man, I don't want anything to hinder what he wants to do. Not anything, right? So God reveals to you and I in this scripture his heart for the hearts of his people. He wants a people who are eager for good. He wants a people who are pursuers of justice. I'm not going to go through the whole implications of what it means to be just because that's a whole series in itself. He wants people who are lovers of mercy. He wants people who live and walk in humility. You know why? Because that's where he shines brightest, brightest. So I thought to myself, as we are getting ready to end this next week, Pastor Mark will uh, give us a, a, a word uh, from Scripture. But I had this. Uh, I always come up with the title as God gives it to me. Uh, and the first one was standing in victory. And I was like, no, that's not it. And then the second one was like, stand firm. And then I was like, no, that's not it. And then it came to me. Don't fall back. You know why? Falling back just requires that you stop moving. That's all it takes. All it takes is for me to say, I'm content. And immediately gravity starts working on me. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? I think we all do, right? The worst thing that we can do as we're on the final leg, because this is the final leg. If you're really trying to fast, right now it doesn't hurt anymore. Your stomach is just like in a malaise. You're like, yeah, I don't care. You know what I mean? 
Tracy's like, hey, you want to eat? And I'm like, who cares, you know? You know, there's nothing worth eating. She's like, no, I made baked potatoes. I'm like, they're not that great. <laughs> you want another bowl of vegetables? <laughs> no, I'd rather fast. <laughs> so it gets you. So you, but at this point, you're just like, ah, come on, I could get through it. And I'm going to be telling you the truth, and I'm just telling you this to be open and honest because, you know, and I never want to stand up here at, at church. Man, I'm down. I'm in the trenches, man. I'm in the trenches. I want to look you straight in the eye. I'm fighting just like you're fighting. And you know what? Sometimes I win. Sometimes I lose. Sometimes I give up. Sometimes I don't want to follow. And then, what does God do? Always wrestles me back. Always wins. Never fails. So I just want to say this. The worst thing that we can do, and I've done it, is to endure the fasting only to cross the finish line. And then you remember it no more. You're like, phew, it's over now. And the first thing is, I'll tell you the truth, it's, it's going to end for us this week. And I'm already figuring out where we're going to go and what we're going to eat. And I think it revolves around a lot of cheese baked into a pizza and something fried. And that's probably not really good for my digestion, but I don't want to talk about that. So it's easy to do fasting even when you get through the deep valley is just simply unpleasant. I like to look at it like this. It's like it rings out the color and flavor of life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You get it right around that fourth or fifth day. You're kind of like, you're like, you feel bad? No. You feel good? Not really. It's just kind of like you go from one thing to another. And all, one of the big things that always gets me in the fast is how dependent I am on Jesus. And I don't think that that's good. And the reason I cling to it is because it's my last place of escape. And God's like, I don't, I don't want that to be the place of escape. I want you to be the place of escape. So I kind of need to keep fasting until there comes a point to where I, I start to realize that uh, he is my place of escape. He is my stronghold. He is the place that I want to run into. I don't want to avoid him. You know what's sad to say sometimes when I'm tired and feel pressure? I don't want to avoid him. Because I always know to come near him. Always. True? True? Fasting for the Christian, I believe, is a form of spiritual mourning. Remember how I said, we don't fast for props, we, pras- we fast for cooperation, participation, and anticipation. Today we're going to talk about anticipation. And Jesus says that it is a, no, he doesn't say it, I'm just making an observation. I believe that fasting is a, is a form of spiritual mourning. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. Well, I, I never forget when I would read the Beatitudes for the longest time. Confused me, still confused me, because there's really no clear answers on a lot of the nuances to it. So you really got to wrestle with it for a while. So I understood mourning, but I never got this. What do I mourn about? M- mourn? What, is it? what do you mean mourn? mourn? What am I supposed to mourn? Well, it's always highly interpretive, and there's really never or rarely a clear definition as to what we are to mourn, but we do have a clear definition of what mourning is. It is a different level of sadness. It is a deep lament over profound loss. So this is what I believe God has led me to. There's two things that Jesus is telling us as we end this time. He's saying the first thing is that we live in a very broken world. Can we all agree on that? And you know what else I can agree with? I'm equally broken with it. Right? So it, it's, it's, it's a broken world. He's reminding me it's a broken world. And because it's broken, sometimes and in many ways, it will not operate aligned to God's perfect will. That means things will happen and you're like, are you not paying attention enough? You know, there was something that happened this week where there was a miscommunication, and immediately after it happened, I started praying. I'm like, God, you need to go before me. You need to start answering because, man, I'm telling you, this could go bad. And I'm like, I hate bad. And sure enough, I'm praying, 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 praying. And in the morning, I get a, a notification. Hey, can we go back over this? I'm like, oh, man. And I called my wife up. I'm like, see, he didn't answer again. I was wrong. I accused the Lord three hours too soon. 
he heard he'd already made the deal. He was going to reveal something in about three hours and do something that I was just a witness of. Remember that when you're praying. Remember that. Remember, don't you ever lose that. Always believe, trust in him. If it's good, you're going to get it. I'm telling you right now, and wait on his timing. So I want to say this. Uh, in many ways, it will not, the world around us or the people around us will not operate along to God's perfect will. And if God lived inside of me, this brokenness will make my heart sad. Like there's behaviors that I see that make my heart sad. The level of disunity, the level of brokenness, the level of self-centeredness. But then, so I'm protected from pointing a finger, I got to look at myself and I say, well, the first law tells me to love the Lord my God with all my heart and strength and soul and everything within me. And I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've done that one perfectly. Have you? I'd like to say that I have, but it's a big lie. And you know what makes me even more upset? There's part of me that doesn't even want to do that. Because I know that would be hard. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how can this be? Why is this? It makes my heart mourn. This is the next thing that it tells us. It says that even though the idea of soul, deep soul sadness isn't a pleasant thing that we would want to welcome into our life, he's telling you and I never to run away from it. And why is he telling us that? Here's the answer that I could come up with. Because a willingness to be vulnerable to soul mourning will receive God's very own He's like, you want my grace? You have to let me show you what I see about your spiritual health. Well, I don't want that, God. I want the blessing, but don't tell me the diagnosis. I want to go to the doctor and have him say, your blood looks great. I don't want him to tell me I have prostate cancer. But if he lets me go out the door, well, I got it raging in my body. Is that a good doctor? God's like, listen, man, I see cancer, spiritual cancer, and it's killing, eating you from the inside out. Listen to me. I'm not going to tell you something I feel is going to work. I got a guarantee that's going to work. But you have to be willing to agree with me on that. It's kind of one of those things. It's kind of one of those things. Even though the idea of, so I'm going to say it again, even though the idea of soul sadness isn't pleasant, he says, don't run away from it because a willingness to be vulnerable to soul mourning will receive God's very own comfort. And what is the comfort? When I receive that comfort from mourning, it means I'm telling you, Jesus speaking, I will come near to you. Who here, by a raising of a hand, don't embellish it, who has felt the nearness of God? Come on, you know, you know you have. And it always comes at these crazy times where you're like, oh my God, it's overwhelming, man. It's so powerful and it's so, ooh, it's good, man. It gives you a taste and you want to go back to it. You know how you train a dog? You give him a teeny tiny, and I'm not saying we're dogs. You give him a teeny tiny taste of something that tastes really good for a little thing that they might have done or done. And then they will look to you and equate it and go, oh, I want that again. God says, I have something to you that eventually will be yours without limit, without anything to separate you. But I'm going to give you a deposit of it so powerful here that you will know that it is the most vital thing here. That nearness of God. Jesus says, if you're willing to mourn, if you're willing to weep over the realities of who you are in your brokenness, if this world around us is broken, I will come near you and I will reassure you that I am going to fix everything that is broken. I have come to fill in every hole. I have come to fix every crack. I have come to rejoin every break and I will rebuild every collapsed ruin. Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to try. Jesus said, it is finished. Done deal. Everything you want has been done. Man, I'm telling you, that's something for those who have surrendered is like, I don't know, man. It's like lead in your shoes, dude. 
it, it keeps you like anchored in big wins. It always, it's like it, it, can, it keeps you steady. The scripture we look at today out of Isaiah reveals a very a- important aspect of God's character. He is very much like a father to you and I. And he has built this earth like, in my opinion, a family business. Think about that. Just a minute. I've built this as a family business for me and my kids. And then his heart is broken with Israel, and he's angry about the fact that his children have been embezzling from the business. They have cheated the family business by looking out for number one. You know, that's the struggle right there. You can even come to church because you're motivated by looking out for number one. Be a pastor because you're looking out for number one. I know why he wouldn't give me a pastorate when I wanted it. You know why? Because I was certain if it succeeded, that means I was somebody. I was valuable. I was worth it. And he's like, no, that's that's not right. That's an idol. But it's your idol, Lord. It's for you. He's like, nah, it was always for you. A self-centered, if you're writing something down, this is a good one. A self-centered, self-focused life is like spiritual embezzlement. That's what God is saying to his people. And guess what? Even though the charges may not be our charges, man, I believe our struggle, if you're like me, is his way of surrender or my way of making sure I'm taking care of myself. We don't like to admit that, but it's a struggle, right? And it doesn't have to overly look sinful. It's crazy. I'm sorry I, I have to say this, but it's something. Uh, when we make ourselves our number one priority, we will often do it at the expense of justice, mercy, and humility. I will justify just about anything I desire apart from grace. Are you different from me? Man, we could do terrible, awful things to other people and say, well, if they would have or if I didn't, then I wouldn't. And God's like, do you think you could benefit yourself by cheating them? Don't you know why cheating them you're cheating you? He's like, you really think you're going to get at Do you think I'm not watching you? Do you think I'm foolish? Do you think I've done this for that? You're my people. You're not like them who ignorantly walk around thinking things are important when they're worthless. I'm important. What I want for your life is important. And it's the only thing that will benefit you. He's angry. He's angry. I think that this reveals a repetitive problem in the relationship between God and his children throughout the entire Bible. Israel wanted a God to be like the gods of the other nations. It's just a human inclination. They love the idea of priests. They love the idea of the temple. They love the idea of sacrifices. But what Israel wanted was God to be satisfied with that stuff and to simply bless their lives. Let me keep my life. I'll do the other stuff. They wanted a what's called quid pro quo relationship. You know what quid pro quo is? We live in the city of Chicago. Pay to play. It's like you want, give. I want this stuff. Come to church on Sunday. I want this stuff. Go serve on Sunday. I want this stuff. Put some money in the basket on Sunday. That's what we want. And then we want God to say, okay, now just let me keep the deed and the the rights to my life and let me just kind of like leave here and kind of go on about things okay and i'll be meet you back here on sunday and he's like no that's not what i'm offering you i'm not offering you that at all god never offers us his children a quid pro quo option it'll never be we give in order to get God isn't interested in a contract with you and I. He wants covenants. A covenant is a promise that is written out of the devotion of one's heart. When God says, because that's how it always starts, it's his covenant toward us. He says, this is my promise. I will do this to you. I could go into it, but the very first one was the one that set us on the right path with him and Abraham as a foretelling. 
He's like, I'm going to accomplish something in my people that I can't trust you to do your end. So I'm going to do both ends to make sure it's all done. But I want you to recognize it. I want you to see it for its fullness. And when you see it for all of its beauty and all of its righteousness and all of its generosity, it will change your heart. Because that's what God's after. God is after changed hearts. At the time that this letter was written, Israel was looking pretty devoted and pretty zealous. They were sacrificing upwards of 50,000 animals daily. The attendance at the temple was staggering. The problem was God wasn't impressed. Why? Because they were okay with an outwardly impressive religious zeal, but not willing to take inward transformation. Why? Because it's I want what I want. I used to work with this guy all the time, and he used to say to me all the time, the heart wants what it wants, Fitz. And can I tell you something? I wouldn't argue with him because I lived that way my whole life. The heart wants what it wants, babe. And God says, don't touch the heart. It's poisonous. Let me give you a new heart. I'll give you new desires, things that will give health to you. It will benefit not only you, but everyone around It'll give you greater satisfaction than you could get chasing after your own heart. It's what he says. It's what he does. It's what he offers. That's what God wants. God is interested in reforming my character, replacing things that are broken inside of me, and redeeming purposes that don't matter. They don't matter. God wants to be your and my number one influencer he wants to be the number one influencer in what we do and why we do it. Can I tell you something? He's never given up on me, but I know this. He has proven to me time and time again. His way really is the better way. And you know what? I can tell you, me and Solomon would have great conversations because I've chased after the wind so many times. Oh, I think this is it. This is it. This is it. And I'm like, oh. I'm going to eat this. This is going to satisfy me. And I'm like, oh. I wait and wait and wait. And then I go and I go through it. Hey, how was it? Everything you wanted? And you're like, oh. You know what? I used to lament that. And I go, why am I like that? Always half full. I know why. God made me like that. Because I wasn't made for here. You weren't either. We want there because there is the only place of completion. There is the only place of absolute satisfaction. There's the place of only absolute perfect love. Can't get it here. Get shadows of it here. Get aromas of it here. Get deposits of it here. But never all here. You know, C.S. said an amazing thing. He goes, when you aim at heaven, you get heaven and God throws in earth. But when you aim at the earth, you neither get heaven nor you get the earth. It's powerful stuff, man. We got to seek these. And these times, these times of fasting really help us to see things properly. So my question for us is this. I got three points. I actually had 12 points, but I know I can't do that. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy. What's next for you and me? We have to be willing, willing to do something. The first thing that you and I have to be willing to do is to embrace the discomfort of a, dis of a dying flesh. I want you to understand this. Jesus has called you and I to pick up a cross. That's not heavy. I want you to understand there's something about a cross that you need to know. It's a spectacle. It's meant for people on the outside to look at and go, oh man, I don't want that to happen to me. Paul said that you and I are like an aroma. We smell like the sweet perfume of Christ to some who are being called out from the grave, and we smell like death to those who are running away from it. That's our purpose. We're supposed to live in a way where they don't go, no, I hate that guy. And they're rightly so because I'm a prideful jerk. They want, God wants me to be in this place of transition and humility where he's shining so brightly on me that other people are like, not because of us, but because of him. And I, I, I get it. This is a sweet spot. This is a sweet spot. It's not something that's going to happen. This is what I think holiness is. It is a gentle sweetness that is surrendered. It is not cold, remote, or judgmental. Remember that in your witness to people around you. 
And remember where you were. Man, I was in Clay Pigeon Shade. Dad gave me Field Pigeon Shade home. And when I'd look at someone else, point a finger at him, I could tell him straight out, brother, I know why you're doing what you did. I know what's driving you, because I drove me too. But I'm telling you, stay in the lane. I'm saving you. Stay in the lane. Well, I don't get it. I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm afraid too. Stay with me. Come on, we'll stay together. There's a different way. You understand what I'm saying? I said this to someone today. I say, if someone loves you with that kind of holy love, they make a greater impact than the person in your own home who judges you. Why are you doing that? Why are you not fasting? Why are you not reading your Bible? Why are you playing video games? Why are you watching those TV shows? You know, that's the way you go to hell. You also go to hell by judging people. I'm just saying. We can judge actions all day long. But guess what? Apart from grace, you ain't no different than nobody. So you know what? Because I am a child of grace, a trophy of grace, man, I'm doing everything to hold your hand. I'm doing everything to cooperate with God so that he can win. Because I want to win. And if that means I got to die to myself, or I got to get up a little bit earlier, or I got to travel in cold, or I got to go do this, or I have to be responsible for that, Okay, I'll do it. What are you going to get as payment? Nothing. You already got it. How about the satisfaction of doing what you were made to do in life? You know, God makes us. You know what he makes us? He makes us altruists. You know what an altruist is? Someone who doesn't do what's right for a motive of profit. That's the religious. I do what's right so I get a profit. He says, I want you, my children, to do what's right because it's right to do. Don't notice me. Who cares? This is what we should all be doing. I'm no different than anyone else. Kind of crazy stuff, but I'll tell you this. With him, this can happen. The struggle of death, I've learned, can make me more beautiful like Jesus. Or it can make me like a Pharisee. I'm a reformed guy. I love God. Back and forth. Sometimes in the, in the internet, man, I'm like, can't you see, brothers? Your attitude's really nothing. It's Pharisees right here. And you know the worst thing is? The only ones who didn't know the Pharisees were out of alignment with God were the Pharisees. They were angry when God's like, hey, listen, I'm just showing you the books. Don't be mad at me. And they're like, how dare you? Do you know how much effort I've put into this? I'll throw you off the side of a mountain and shut your mouth. That's not a lie. Don't kill me. All right, so we got to remember this as we move forward. When we die and choose to die, we choose to die so that we can truly live. You know how you can do that right off the bat? Easy as a mile. You're like, oh, that's dying yourself? Real simple. How about this? Here's another one for you. Instead of coming at the last minute, come 30 minutes before service. Walk up to someone like Maggie. Walk up to someone who's around. You go over, grab your pity kid by and say, hey, you just need any help? You know, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Want me to move something? Take out garbage? I'm here. I just call on me. Ask me. Beautiful, fragrant offerings. Crazy stuff. Number two, we need to cultivate intimacy with Jesus like our life depends on it. You know Why? Because if you don't, gravity will pull you in the other direction. You can become very distant to God doing his work. I'm telling you, listen to what God says to his people in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, looking forward to the time of Christ and the salvation that he brings. He says, Yahweh, your God, is in your midst. He is a mighty warrior who saves. He shall rejoice over you with joy. He will lose you with his love. He exalts over you with singing and dancing. Do you believe that's true? Five out of ten times I don't believe that's true. Because I'm like, God, it's too ugly. But then I go to these times where I pray, and it's like, What have I done for you to be so beautiful? 
God's judging me. He's like, you're breaking my heart, kid. Because I'd never do that. I would never make a fuss. Can I tell you something? That's what motivates me to do what I do. Because there's not a good payoff for it, really, in an earthly sense. Right, I've got five more minutes. Two things that I have to remember if I'm going to cultivate intimacy as a way of persevering fruit being born in my life. I have to remember that life will cover me with grime. That means you will look just like everyone else, not going to the bar, not going to the club, not sleeping around, not cheating on your taxes, just looking like everyone else. Getting up at 5 in the morning to get to work by 6, going to work till 3.30 or 5 o'clock, then getting in your car, coming home, making dinner, getting things put away, washing the dishes, going to bed and doing it again. The world will put a thin, invisible coating on us, and it makes us unresponsive, unaware, and sadly, aloof and unconcerned. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Give me enough pressure, and I don't care. Don't call me. I'm done. Busyness will make me a survivalist. Busyness will make me a pragmatist. You know what a pragmatist is? Remember last week I said Jesus fought the battle of compromise for us? That's what pragmatism will do. Listen, I got to make a deal here, and this is the easy route. Jesus is like, no, don't do what you do. Do what I do. But don't cross me. I know, I know. I'll give you the power. Okay, number two, familiarity breeds contempt. That means that you and I will naturally lose enthusiasm for the grace of God that is given to us through Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are human beings, and this is our natural inclination. I have to know that there's something inside of me that will take and receive the gift of God, overwhelmed by it, make me down on my knees crying, and then five, ten years later I'll hear it and I'll go, Oh, yeah, I know that's true. And God's like, could you ever get over this? Could you ever get over this? There's a lyric in a song, and I heard it just last week, and it, man, it just struck me. May I never get over what you've done. And that was my prayer. I stopped the song. I was like, that's my prayer right there, Lord. You're telling me that's what you want me to pray. May I never over what you've done for me. And I can tell you the truth. If that's the desire of your heart, God will give it to you. You will find yourself waning. You will find yourself losing interest and getting less enthusiastic. And God will pull you back, man. He will do something, show you something, come near you in such a way, touch you in such a profound sense. You'll be like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. This morning, all I could do was cry. I was crying all the time I was coming here. Why? I was listening to this song about coyotes chasing cats. And it was a metaphor song about how the devil's seeking. He's chasing people. He wants to snatch you when you're playing in the grass. He ain't joking. He's got a job to do, and he's going to kill you if you don't give in. Kill you. And he's going to laugh the whole time as you're suffering. And it made me cry. Listen to this. I want you to understand this. In Revelation chapter 2, God sternly warns the church in Ephesus. He says, if you don't come back to your first love, that's Jesus, I will extinguish your lamp. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. He recognizes, openly confesses. He goes, I know you're serving me. I know you're giving to me. I know you're sacrificing to me. And I know you're fighting for doctrinal purity. Good, 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 and good. Something happened where that grace wasn't affecting their heart anymore. It was kind of like, well, this is what we do. He's like, no, this is who you are, man. He's like, I want, I want it all. Man, what I did was not for some simple response. I want your heart. 
Their devotion and their discipline drained them of love and humility. It drained them of love of mercy. So what does that mean for you and me? It's simple, 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 simple stuff. You want to move forward? Do you have an accountability partner? Most people don't. You know why? They come and go. Good way to get yourself caught by the coyote. Just saying. You know, God will let you get beat up by the coyote. You need an accountability partner. Who is that person? Someone that you regularly simply talk through your day with. Someone who can be trusted with your thoughts. That means they try to be a really good listener. Not a whole lot of advice until the opportunity and doors open. Right? You could trust them with your lack of faith, because I have it. You could trust them with your lack of trust, because sometimes I have it. And you know what they want? They want God to win in your life. And you know what they're willing to do? To stay with you, to be committed to you, to be willing to pray for you so that God can win in your life. You know what that kind of commitment and relationship does? It's a love that grows wisdom. How many of you know, the last word, you can have an improper love, all the right intentions, but really go at things in the wrong way. Let me push you. Let me control you. If you just let me drive your car for a little bit, if you just let me manipulate your life to go in the direction I want it to go, let me tell you where you're going wrong. Can I give you an example of how I live and just follow my example? And then there's a way of asking questions. And sitting in silence and waiting and saying, all right, God, I'm in. How was your day? What were you thinking about? What did that make you feel like? Where, where's, where's that, where's that, where's that, what are the implications of that in your relationship with God? What do you think about that? And you know what I found? When someone does that to me, I start here and God walks me around all the time. I'm like, right here. When someone should be like, all right, that's it. You're out of of alignment. He somehow walks me right back to where I'm supposed to be. Does that make sense? Get an accountability partner. Get an accountability partner. You're not going to do that just by coming to a normal house every day. There's a woman's group. There's a men's group. There's a couple's group. We're going to have an event. Come on, man. You think this is attended? You're missing the boat. Let's stand up. And Our response is, the knowledge of this is too wonderful for us, too lofty for us to attain. Because if Jesus is for us, where can we go from your spirit? Where can we flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths of the sea, you're there. If I rise upon the wings of the dawn and I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand guides me. Your right hand holds me fast. Even if I said to the dark, surely you'll hide me. The light The night becomes as light around you. Even the darkness will be not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Why? Because you created my inmost being. Knit me together in my mother's womb. Jesus, you came to live the life we couldn't live. Plain and simple. You accomplished it all. You didn't come to abolish the law came to fulfill it and then you gave that righteousness to us and now we want to walk in it we want to be grateful for it we want our families and our homes to be impacted by it we want to love differently because you loved us differently so Lord God I pray that you would conquer our resistance I pray that you would conquer our distrust. I 
pray that you would conquer our fear. And I pray that you would live in our lives. Because you promised that you deserved it. Take the blessing. Finishing this scripture, it says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When you wove me together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts of me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. What have I in heaven that you are not? Earth holds nothing for me to set you. My heart and my soul may fail me, but you are my portion, my great treasure. So Lord God, we recognize that this represents your blood that you willingly spilled for the remission of sin. Day and night, night and day, let it sing. 